I want to tell you, Gorsuch. I want to tell you, Kavanaugh. You have released the whirlwind, and you will pay the price. I am angry because we have reached the culmination of what Republicans have been fighting for, angling for, for decades now, and we are going to fight back. Hell yeah! Understand this. I have seen the world where abortion is illegal. And we are not going back. Not ever. No. So say it with me. We are not going back. We are not going back. Not ever. Not ever. Have a Fox News alert as liberal Roe versus Wade activists are trying to take their protests to the homes of Supreme Court Justices Kavanaugh and Roberts, both Catholics. They're reportedly planning to head to Justice Samuel Alito's home tomorrow and will hit Catholic churches this morning. Alexandria Hoff joins us live from Washington. Alexandria. Well, good morning. You know, these protests, they went through the evening, moving back and forth from Justice Roberts and Kavanaugh's homes. And Montgomery County Police in Maryland stood by for all of this as things became more and more heated. It took place in a residential community called Chevy Chase, and it was made possible largely by the home addresses of conservative justices being published online following the leak of Justice Alito's draft opinion on Roe v. Wade. Another protest, as you mentioned, is expected to take place at his home tomorrow. Chris Scalia, son of the late Justice Antonin Scalia, he weighed in on this. When justices try to intervene and uh, settle cultural and social debates that are really outside of their jurisdiction, they fail. Um, and that obviously was the case with Roe. Overturning Roe does not mean banning abortion across, the, uh, across America, as many people seem to believe. It means that people actually get to vote on the issue, which is how it should be. Welcome back to another episode of Our Interesting Times. It's my pleasure to have Dr. E. Michael Jones back on the show. 
he returns to discuss this uh, leaked draft of the majority opinion written by uh, Justice Samuel Alito. I guess it's the Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization. It, uh, well, as being reported, it would uh, effectively overturn Roe v. Wade and also uh, Casey versus Planned Parenthood, the 1992 decision that uh, reaffirmed or redefined Roe. Um, uh, so we got this news last, uh, I guess, last week, yeah, of this draft opinion, allegedly from the Supreme Court. Uh, it portends the overturning of Roe. Of course, uh, it uh, sparked, uh, you know, panic, <laughs> paroxysms of anger and outrage among the usual suspects. The people in the, in the uh, I guess, the commentariat went crazy. Uh, there's threats of violence. Um, we had the addresses of the... Uh, I think four or five of the justices uh, leaked, I guess, uh, so that, that you could have protests outside their houses, which is actually an explicit violation of federal law. So, um, Dr. Jones, um, how are you doing this evening? Good. Good, Tim. Uh, so, of course, yeah, Culture Wars magazine, culturewars.com, author of several books, uh, Logos Rising, A History of the Ultimate Reality, uh, The Jewish Revolutionary Spirit and Zipak on history and of course you have a book coming out very soon right at least right may 25th they're shipping from the printer the book is the dangers of beauty the conflict between uh, mimesis and concupiscence in the fine arts covers the whole waterfront in terms of art beginning with uh, uh the uh, paint art of painting and sculpture uh in the caves of spain uh then goes to uh, italian painting uh and then uh, part two is uh, music in Germany. Part three is uh, poetry in England. And part four is the modern era, the 20th century, when everything goes to hell in a handbasket. <laughs> and usual suspects? <laughs> the usual suspects. <laughs> so I know this will come as a shock to some people, but it is the usual suspects in the 20th century who turned art into some form of social engineering, insider trading, and cultural terrorism, depending on who you're talking about. Yes, yeah, yeah. merchandising and, and cultural terrorism, yeah. Um, so uh, we've had this uh, uh, development. Uh, didn't expect to hear about it until the end of June, but nevertheless, there was this leak, uh, uh, perhaps a a, an attempt to uh, rile the base, intimidate the court, um, so I'll let you go from there. What's going on here? Yeah, it was. It was a replay of what they did with uh, Casey. Uh, and in Casey, they succeeded. They broke, basically peeled Kennedy away. Kennedy then became famous writing that preposterous uh, statement that is now known as the mystery clause of Casey, where everyone has the right to define his own being. Uh, th this was an important step uh, in American philosophical thought, if, if you could pardon the expression, if we ever have something. It's, of course, it's, that's the smallest book in the library, so it's not <laughs> saying much. But uh, now we have the same thing. And I think uh, I saw an article yesterday uh, that identified the culprit, according to this article, is a, a lady, a law clerk by the name of Elizabeth Deutsch. She's a law clerk for um, Justice Breyer. She has written a number of uh, pro-abortion uh, legal briefs, uh, pro-abortion articles. 
Uh, she's married to a reporter from the Washington Post, and the reporter, her husband, is best friends with the man who uh, published the article uh, leaking this document in Politico. So it sounds like a pretty pretty strong case. I mean, I don't want to judge people. You're innocent until you're proven guilty, but this sounds like a strong case. And uh, basically, we only have 16, really 16 suspects in this case anyway. Each justice has four clerks. Uh, th there's no motivation that I can tell of for uh, a justice, uh, the clerks of a conservative justice to want to do this. Um, but but this, this introduces an important issue. I think it is the, the most important issue with regard to abortion. And that is, what did it do to the American political system? We've had almost 50 years of abortion now. Almost 50 years. And over those 50 years, what we have seen is the complete corruption of the judicial system in the United States of America along the lines established by Roe versus Wade. So by that, I mean that there are some people who have privilege. You know the main group that has privilege. We've talked about this before on your program. I wrote a little booklet about this called Jewish Privilege. Okay, uh, these are the people who are behind uh, the uh, a whole push for abortion, according to Bernard Nathanson, who wrote a book about it while, uh, uh, while he, he identified himself and Lawrence Later as the two people who were responsible for overturning abortion laws in, in uh, New York. So that's on the one, one hand now. You have people who have privilege. And the symbol of the person with privilege is the mother who now can choose to uh, kill uh, not just anyone, but her own child for any reason whatsoever, uh, and normally because it's inconvenient or it might put a crimp in her career. This is usually what it comes down to. Okay, that's the one class. You have the privileged class. The other class is represented by the fetus. And the fetus has no rights whatsoever, doesn't have even the most basic right, which is the right to life, without which you can have no other rights. And uh, you and I now get to situate ourselves into one of those two categories, or we get situated in it, whether we like it or not, willy-nilly. Okay, so let's just give you an example of what I'm talking about. Is it bad? Is it a bad thing to leak? Uh, government documents, confidential, uh, subsecreto sub government documents. Is that a bad thing? Well, it all depends on who does it now and the motive uh, behind that. So we have this lady. I will make a wager here just between you and me uh, that this lady will do this with impunity. She will not be pub uh, punished. I'm saying no one will be punished for this. Okay, the justices were outraged. No one will be punished. And now as a comparison, that's the privileged person. As a comparison, uh, I'd like to bring up the case of Julian Assange. Now, he's, he's a leaker too, uh, but he, he is in the, the second category. He's uh, part of that fetus category, and he has no rights whatsoever. So what, what disappeared uh, at this time is the idea of right that you have a right to something and no one can take that right away from you. So if the government can take the right to life away from a human being, no one has any rights.
No one has any rights. And so what you're seeing now is one outrageous example of injustice after another. So to give you another instance, we had uh, Jeffrey Epstein, uh, who was given a sweetheart deal in Chicago, and I'm sorry, in Florida by a Jewish lawyer. Uh, Epstein was Jewish. And that lawyer, after giving him the sweetheart deal, he was he pled guilty to something or other, put up in a hotel, basically, uh, which they called it a prison, but he basically could go out whenever he wanted and so on and so forth. And the lawyer who did this, whose name I forget, I knew at one point, uh, was given an award by the ADL. Barry Kirsch? Yeah, that's Krishner. Krishner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, it was reversed. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. the name. Okay, uh, another example, uh, uh, there is a... Uh, a professor at Harvard who's head of the chemistry program uh, who was ca- uh, caught uh, taking $50,000 a month under the table from the Chinese. Uh, big scandal because it, it involved COVID. He was the man who created the wire that basically allows people to manipulate gene sequences. And he was connected with the lab in Wuhan. And one of the biggest uh, um uh, what should I say, most expensive pandemics in the history of the human race, and he, he's going to get a slap on the wrist, okay? So on the other hand, so you could, another example, if you are a part of Black Lives Matter, you can burn down half the town, and uh, CNN will say it's a peaceful protest. If, on the other hand, uh, you are uh, someone who voted for Donald Trump and you think the election was stolen, and you went to Washington uh, on January 6th of last year, you will discover that you have no right to assemble and you have no right uh, to free speech and that you will be called a terrorist. This is exactly what I'm talking about here. This is the legacy of Roe versus Wade. This is, this is the burden that we, we're dealing with right now. This is what we have to correct. We have to, and I think the justices understand this. That if, if you keep this up, you can take that piece of, uh, pa- pa- uh, piece of paper uh, called the Constitution and you can just use it for lighting fires or wrapping fish. It has no meaning whatsoever. I think they understood this. And I think the Alito decision uh, recognized uh, beyond that, that uh, in the United States of America, we are never, we are never going to have some type of common opinion on abortion. Never. If it hasn't happened in 50 years, it's never going to happen. And uh, so it's we're they're going to go for the geographical solution to this problem, which was all, always, which was part of our original, uh, the original principle of this country, which is basically you had states. Well, over that period of time, uh, let's say with Roe versus Wade, 1973, the state was meaningless. It was a meaningless distinction. This thing that Harry Blackman conjured up out of thin air, thin air, uh, even more so than the uh, uh, Griswold versus Connecticut, the contraception decision, which said that right to contraceptives was the emanation of a penumbra of the Constitution. I mean, that's a stretch. This was even worse than that. Okay, it was imposed on every state in the union and no one had any say about it. And that was the beginning of the uh, process that I talked about. And uh, toward the end of her life, I think very close to the end of her life, Ruth Bader Ginsburg uh, basically said, 
she was one of the biggest disappointments of her life is that everyone didn't agree with her. <laughs> sorry, uh, Madam Justice Ginsburg. Sorry, but the only way you feel the only reason you feel this way is because you've become accustomed to having Jewish privilege, where your rules get imposed on everyone else's rules. And that brings us to another sidelight of this uh, 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 tunnel uh, through which we see a little bit of light. Uh, we've got uh, this uh, rabbi saying, and a lot of people are saying, it's not just one rabbi, but it's a lot of people who are saying, basically, I'm Jewish. Uh, I, If you uh, deny abortion, you are preventing me from practicing my religion. Now, I had never heard of this uh, before, but I think it's exactly what I'm talking about. It's exactly what I'm talking about. So you have a religion that uh, requires human sacrifice, uh, and you're going to impose that on the rest of us. You're going to, certainly going to impose it on the fetus, okay? You're going to impose it on the rest of us, and no one's supposed to notice? Wait a minute, wait a minute. If that's the case, then Roe versus Wade was a violation of my religious rights because you imposed your religion on me. That's that's the type that's the situation we're in right now. And so I write uh, uh, a heading. I, I'll quote the article. I'll cite the article, and then I'll say, "Abortion is a Jewish sacrament." Well, th that will get me. You know, that's anti-Semitic to say that. No, you just said it. This this lady just said it. This rabbi just said it. So this is good. This is good because this is now out in the open now. That is not a defensible statement. And I think what you're seeing now is uh, an air of desperation spreading throughout uh, these, these, this segment of the population. In, in keeping with the general air of desperation that is spreading through the world right now. And I think, uh, it, I think it's a sign uh, that they see the end. Now, when, when you're talking about this group of people, I'm talking about the ladies, not, not the justices who impose on us, but the ladies who thought they had this right and exercised this right and woke up, played with guilt, woke up one morning and thought, I just killed, I just killed my child. I can't think of a thought worse for any woman on the face of the earth. I can't think of this is the very reason the, the 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 main reason the main reason what's the main reason for women exists it's, no it's not quite that way but it's the only only women can give life only women can nurture life in the womb and you violated the fundamental act of your nature the fundamental potentiality of your nature and now you woke up and you realized you did something really wrong and i know this is happening because, first of all, because the conscience cannot be stifled on matters like this. And I know it's react, it's happened because all you have to look around and see the absolutely frenzied, hysterical reaction to basically what is simply uh, uh, handing the jurisdiction of this thing over to the states, to representative <clears throat> government. Why is there this frenzied reaction? Elizabeth Warren, for example, absolutely <laughs> yes. freaking out, yes. freaking out. Why is she doing this? Look, I don't, I, I, I don't know uh, the details of her life, but I'm going to make a wild stab, and I'm going to say she had an abortion. I, I'm going to make a wild stab, and I'm saying all of this hysteria is coming from guilt. 
the guilt these women incurred when they had abortions. And they create, that was their world. That was the world where Kennedy said, uh, you know, you can create your own being. You know, that's, that's what life is all about. And they acted on it and it didn't work. And now as soon as you touch it, all of that suppressed guilt comes to the surface and you have this absolute frenzy, like something right out of the bakay. You know, these frenzied mm. women now who are threatening to, who knows? They're going to kill the Supreme Court justice. They're going to pick at his home. They're going to spit on the cops. They're going to firebomb uh, uh, pro-life uh, clinics uh, in Denver. They're going to spray paint the uh, slogans on the churches. They're going to go crazy. You want a good example of, of this? And actually, I, if you want a good example of the model that these women are following, uh, Google uh, uh, Marta Plata or uh, abortion protest, and you'll see these crazy women, crazy bare-breasted women storming the churches in Argentina. It's in Buenos Aires is in Marta Plata. Absolutely crazed, driven to a frenzy. By what? By guilt. What else would, what else would cause people to do this? What, what else? If it's not a big deal, why are you getting upset about it? If it's just like getting your toenails clipped, why are you going, getting so upset about it? It's obviously more than that. And now the bill has come due. It's over, ladies. It's over. It looks as if uh, they're going to hold fast. And uh, maybe if you live in Mississippi, you know, you'll have to go to New York. Well, that's, that's terrible. But, I mean, it, it's better than killing more children. Yeah. Yes, the um, uh, uh, the Lido draft uh, uh, reads, we hold that Roe and Casey must be overruled. The Constitution makes no reference to abortion and no such right is implicitly protected by any constitutional provision. That's a direct repudiation of the Roe decision, is who, which uh, claimed uh, that there was an implicit right to abortion in the substantive due process guaranteed by the 14th Amendment. Uh, Roe was egregiously wrong from the start. Its reasoning was exceptionally weak, and the decision has had damaging consequences. And far from bringing about a national settlement of the abortion issue, Roe and Casey have inflamed debate and deepened division. It is time to heed the Constitution and return the issue of abortion to the people's elected representatives. It's merely a correction of jurisdiction. It's not even a moral statement on abortion. Um, no. But this hysterical reaction, no one is contending with the merits of the argument, which are, uh, I think, um, unimpeachable. Um, and again, all it does is return to the status quo anti-1973. Uh, I could argue, and I think a much better argument could be made that the, if there's any implicit right and due, uh, substitute process rights in the 14th Amendment, you could argue that it, you could apply it to the unborn baby and right. ban abortion nationally the same way they, they uh, you know, prohibited slavery. Um, you just simply acknowledge the humanity of the unborn child and the 14th Amendment, that's much less of a stretch that the, was made back in 1973, which is just outcomes-based jurisprudence. They wanted abortion. Abortion's done us damage. You made, um, I mean, it was a, a product of the cultural uh, war and the sexual revolution, and it simply would have been impossible without the upheavals of the, of the 1960s uh, that this could have been done. It's interesting that uh, the abortion regime was installed uh, roughly at the same time you had the ascendancy of Jewish cultural and political power in the United States. I don't think you can 
separate those two developments. Oh, I don't think so either. I don't think so either. Yeah, I mean, basically, uh, it's the Jewish sacrament, and the Jews impose their religion on us mm-hmm. by uh, legalized striking down all these uh, laws protecting the unborn. Mm-hmm. I would go. I would go a step further. Uh, I would say, well, what 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 Jews are we talking about here? And I think it goes all the way back to the time of the Old Testament when the Jews were always falling into idolatry, and idolatry meant the worship of Moloch. And the worship of Moloch meant sacrificing your children. I think there's a, a straight line here, a straight line here between the Jews, the Jews who rejected Christ all the way up, up to the present with a, a little, little sidebar in the Middle Ages uh, with uh, the, blood, uh, the blood libels. They're called blood libels, but I mean the sacrifice, capturing children, the sacrifice of St. Simon of Trent, people like that. There's a, a straight line there. Just as there's a straight line on the other side of the, the children of Moses uh, who accepted Jesus Christ and became uh, the Catholic Church. Those are the two forces. I describe these two sides in uh, my book, The Jewish Revolutionary Spirit, the forces of Logos versus anti-Logos. And they will be with us uh, until the end of time, I suspect, or until the Jews convert, the conversion of the Jews. One thing that I find uh, uh, revealing and interesting is often when you talk about abortion, the issue of rape comes up. Um, Of course, the vast majority of abortions are not done to uh, kill the uh, child that is a product of rape. Nevertheless, it's a red herring they use. But it's interesting that rape and these things would come up because one thing that abortion did is it um, it upset the sexual constitution because on one hand it says that a, a, obtaining an abortion is no more morally significant than getting an apodectomy, right? It's just right. an operation, like you said, getting your toenails clipped. Yeah. It's, just, it's just my body, my choice, none of your business, and it's no big deal, as they say. You know, it's just it's it's what's the big deal? Uh, but it obviously it is a big deal, and at the same time, um, I mean, you can't separated like from the uh, the growth of the uh, the normalization and legalization of pornography and the sexual revolution these things is um you the reason why is i mean i i've i've made this observation before one of you agree with me is that the idea that, that rape is such a heinous crime it's not just because it's a physical violation because there are much other other things that assault the rape is considered so awful because it's a you're you're defiling the procreative act you know, uh, also it brings in the question paternity. These, 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 these things are very primal. They're basic to our, you know, social organization or, or, or identity as people. And, but the thing is, if you bring in something like abortion and you usher in the sexual revolution that says that, that sex is a recreative act, it's just, it can act, it's an act of recreation, no more morally significant than drinking a soda or eating a sandwich. You're doing it to have fun, to feel good. At the same time, abortion is no big deal you can't turn around and say rape is a big deal but nevertheless right. it is so why is it well it is because you're, you're violating women and that's again you're, you're defiling the procreative act which is why you'll see even in movies even the rape of men is often joked about but you can't joke about raping women because right. one thing difference is you're defying the procreative act but they seem to want to have it both ways they want to cheapen sex you know and 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 uh i guess the part uh trivialize sex therefore marginalizing you know the product of sex which is the unborn child at the same time claim that rape is, is such a serious thing well you can't have it both ways would you agree with that observation it's kind of a contradiction yeah of course it is this has been nothing but contradiction and one mm-hmm. absurdity after another 
you know, like your body, our bodies, ourselves. Well, what about the body of the fetus? You mean mm -hmm. that's that's not that's you? Well, you you were you your mother? No, no. Oh, that's different. That's different. It, it's completely incoherent. And the only reason it got uh, uh, allowed to continue this long is because the oligarchs, whoever you want, that were in charge of this culture, wanted it. It's that simple. It was a truth was the opinion of the powerful. That was also one of the consequences of Roe versus Wade. So you could say the most absurd thing, absurd thing imaginable, and it was true because you had the power uh, of this, you had this privilege, and that granted you that power. So uh, you could say, uh, I remember Eleanor Schmiel. Does anybody remember her? She was yes. head of National Organization of Women, a really unpleasant lady, okay? And uh, she showed up at Notre Dame and she gave a speech about, you know, hitting all the usual cliches. So I said, I'm there in the audience, uh, raised my hand, and I said, does the fetus have sex? In other words, is it a, a fetus, can you determine whether a fetus is male or female? Okay. She said, the, the sex differentiation process begins at birth. Okay. So I start, I have my little pad, I'm the, the cub reporter for Culture Wars magazine. I start writing that down and then she screams at me, don't write that down. You got me crazy. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Are we, this is a university. You just made a completely preposterous statement and now you're admitting it's preposterous and I'm not even supposed to write it down. I mean, this is... This is ridiculous. This is this is the level of discourse. How did it go on this long? With with explanations like that, or or else you know it's my body. Uh, you know people shouldn't tell other people what to do with their bodies, unless it's COVID, of course. And then we're going to force you to get injections and wear masks. And there was the same crowd who was pro-abortion was also pro-COVID. So that didn't make any sense either. How much, how much contradiction do you expect us to take? 50 years worth, 50 years worth of absurd, one absurdity after another, because they were at war with science. How many, how many do you see signs in your neighborhood where they have a sign on the art that says something like, uh, in this house, we believe that uh, Black Lives Matter. And then one of the things they believe is science is real. Well, the ladies were on the wrong side of science. The pro-abortion ladies were on the wrong side of science. They, 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 they refused to look into the microscope. Just the way Galileo, supposedly Galileo, uh, the cardinal in Galileo was, refused to look into the telescope. They were, that was, and it, the more we learned about uh, the development of the fetus over this period of 50 years, the more hysterical they became. Whenever you bring it up, H how long can we go on like this? I think that the justices were faced with a situation where, you know, finally we got to own up to the fact that if we keep going this way, we will wreck the Constitution. No one will have any respect for the Constitution. We're going to have to bend here. This is the moment in history right now is basically the devolution of power back to the state. It's not just an abortion. It's across the board. Is what we're seeing in uh, Florida right now with uh, the battle between Ron DeSantis and Disney. 
The state is taking back its power. By the, by the way, uh, the, I watched the interview with, that Tucker Carlson conducted with, uh, with Ron DeSantis. And I don't, I, maybe it's me, but he sounded a lot like me uh, when he started, uh, started talking about who are these people from Burbank telling the people <laughs> of Florida what to yes. do. Does that remind you of anything? I think I said it on your program more than yes. once. Yes. Uh, just talking about who, yeah, who's, who's sovereign in Florida. You know, yeah. From Disney or the, the, that, that's the right. Governor that, of Florida. Yeah, that's that's right. That's the moment. Except that I was talking about Mark Benioff and and yes. uh, Mike Pence, who when he was governor of Indiana, two you different know, what, reactions. They're just two of same issue, two right. the same I, challenge. Yeah. So I'm saying I'm saying, look, if uh, uh, great minds like uh, like this can come to, to the conclusion, the same conclusion, uh, we're talking about me and Alito and DeSantis. We're all coming to the conclusion that basically uh, we have to get back to representative government. Because if we don't, uh, we're it's over. That's all we have. We don't have any. Traditions. Well, this is the, this is another contradiction. Is for the longest time we've heard about democracy, democracy. Everything has to be democracy, right? You know, fighting for democracy abroad. The January six uh, protests in Capitol was an assault on our democracy. Here is the court handing it back to the legislature, which is former Democratic from the Supreme Court. The various legislatures of the states that decide this issue, very democratic move, by the way, and this is considered a, an, a you know, a violation of their rights when exactly it's the exact opposite because the Supreme Court was never meant to be the arena to solve all our social and political issues. It's, uh, it's there to decide matters of fundamental law. I, I really, really it's there just to do uh, uh, to solve disputes between federal courts so just with the, you know, with the um, – uh, idea of judicial review was sort of seized by the courts and it's become legitimized. But nevertheless, they're handing it back to the states, and it does it does not, it does really doesn't change much in terms of it may not change much in overall of our abortion because you look at the geography of abortion. Most of them occur in these states, whether it's New York or California. Very few in the middle part of the country. It's just the way it works, and it's probably the laws are going to conform to that. Um, right. You know, instead of protesting outside Alito's house or violating the law or threatening to burn a church down, go lobby your state legislature. <laughs> yeah. That's what the leader of Susan B. Anthony List said. She says, now you know, with this ruling, that's time to redouble our efforts and to lobby our states. That was an adult response to this ruling. But one thing that I've noticed with the, you used to talk about, you know, returning back to 1973, the status quo ante before Roe, um, we're not returning back to that because in the 50 years, there's been the culture war, the degradation and dumbing down of society, which abortion is a big part of the corruption of the, of the, of the public's morals. Um, so it's done its work. It's almost like they don't need abortion anymore because they've done so much damage. <laughs> now we're, we're talking – here's a good example of revolution devouring its children. Uh, uh, Gov Gavin Newsom was at a, uh, at a press conference or a public appearance of pro-choice rally, I think, uh, just after this uh, leak occurred, and he made that, that boilerplate typical argument that if men could have babies, this wouldn't even be a controversy, and he was called a transphobe for claiming that men couldn't have babies. <laughs> <laughs> so there so you go, hard, right? It's so hard to keep up. How do you keep so, up with it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then there's that famous line, like, men should not tell women what to do with their bodies, and then they flash a picture of uh, the Supreme Court in 1973. Well, it's, it's all old white men isn't it yes you know? uh, so it it, it it there's no rationality here mm -hmm. it's pure power i have the power therefore what i said is true period that's it 
And that has had a corrupting effect on the entire culture, the entire culture. But on the other side, we have much more consciousness than we had back then, simply of uh, the development of the fetus and yes, uh, all that type of stuff. Medical science has continued uh, uh, telling us more and more about what it is. So nobody in his right mind can, came, can claim that it's a blob of undifferentiated tissue anymore. Yeah, how does undifferentiated tissue form into a complex human being? <laughs> it's got to be something. <laughs> you, you, you can't get there from here. No, no. It's, you cannot yeah. get, and you cannot uh, separate this process. It begins when the when the sperm joins up with the ovum with the egg, and it's a of a, 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 a completely unified yes. process. After that, there's no middle ground here. No middle ground. That that was the interesting thing uh, that I've watched at, at Notre Dame over the 40 years that I've been encamped outside the walls there. Uh, I got I got fired because I was pro-life from St. Mary's College across the street uh, because the feminists had taken over that, that uh, institution. And at that time, this was not at all uh, considered a, 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 an opinion that was fit for polite company. Not at all. Okay, it was up for grabs. It was. We're talking about a period that was uh, only short, shortly a couple of fifteen years after uh, contraception. Notre Dame was heavily involved in the subversion of the church's teaching on contraception. I've written this up in uh, Libido Dominandi. Father mm -hmm. Hesburgh. Father Hesburgh was collaborating with the Rockefellers, uh, holding secret conferences at Notre Dame, and they wholeheartedly no, Notre Dame wholeheartedly embraced the cause of contraception uh and they do to this day uh and at that point it seemed well isn't uh, abortion the logical extension of contraception well it is to a certain extent but not in the way they thought uh because uh uh, uh what happens is that you're taking a human life uh, and I'm not trying to minimize the danger or the damage that contraception does to a society. I'm not trying to minimize that at all. I'm just trying to say that at this point in the history of Notre Dame, uh, everyone thought that uh, everyone, the Catholics were going to docilely swallow uh, abortion as they had done contraception. And it never happened. It just never happened. And so I was there uh, at a lecture right after the leak happened. I think it was last week. And... Uh, there is representatives of Notre Dame's Right to Life organization, and it's it, you know that's a, a legitimate operation at Notre Dame, and it's recognized as a, 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 an of, a official option, acceptable option at Notre Dame now. That's because it never went away. You could not. I mean, Notre Dame is in the business of uh, brainwashing uh, Catholic students to make them docile wage slaves and sex robots that's what they do for a living and to convince them that it's compatible with catholicism and every year there are students who show up who are, think it's a catholic institution and then find out that it isn't but notre dame could not resist that 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 catholic resistance to abortion it never went away never okay i'm going to uh close out this meeting and bring up the second half and then we'll talk about the uh, the ethnic conflict with abortion because there's a lot being said about I mean, obviously you had the you know uh, Ruth uh, sent us organization saying they're going to burn the Eucharist so the Catholics uh, are some reason or some reason being targeted um, 
so we had this anti-Catholic thing coming up. We have this organization um, called uh, Ruth Sent Us. Yeah, apparently it's honor Ruth Bader Ginsburg. They sent out a tweet in response to someone who said they'd pray for them. Stuff your rosaries and your weaponized prayer. We will remain outraged after this weekend. So keep praying. We'll be burning the Eucharist to show our disgust for the abuse the Catholic churches have condoned for centuries, the tweet said. Um, this was, uh, they called for protests all over the country, ironically, on Mother's Day weekend. <laughs> but, whatever. But I guess the, the Catholic thing has come up again because Samuel Leto and uh, two or three other justices involved in this ruling are Catholic. Uh, 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 Kavanaugh um, is, is a Catholic. And so this Catholic thing is coming up, and you write about this in your book, on Jewish moral subversion, how the anti-Catholicism was always a big part of the pro-abortion movement. The way it would happen was if someone was anti-abortion, as Catholics are, and or often these Catholics would be very influential in the movement, they'd be identified as a Catholic so much to delegitimize their opinion, saying you're forcing our religion on, on us. And this is a religious thing, whereas if someone was pro-abortion, was Jewish, their ethnicity, their Jewish uh, 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 ethnicity or faith wouldn't be mentioned. Uh, so this is something you write about. This is a trend we've seen, right? Just anti-Catholicism. Yeah, that's right. And now, uh, now, as we said earlier in the program, now we have uh, Jews saying that if you uh, ban abortion, you're preventing uh, the Jews from practicing their religion. Well, this is a new wrinkle. I don't think it's going to fly, but I'm, I'm glad they said it because it brings the whole thing out in the open, the whole classic double standard. Uh, in other words, if you're pro-abortion, that's just because it's it's the right thing to do, and your ethnicity doesn't have anything to do with it. Uh, but if you're anti-abortion, well, there must be something subversive and something uh, bad about, oh, oh, it's because you're Catholic. And so because you're Catholic, you can, simply can't reason properly. This is the type of bigotry that was institutionalized at the New York Times. It also came about in other ways. So, for example, uh, Bernard Nathanson, who was, the, as I said, one of the leading uh, po uh, proponents of abortion to get the law overturned in New York, uh, was always identified as a doctor, but never as a Jew. Uh, and then uh, in his memoir, he wrote that uh, if, if the American people knew that abortion was really the creation of a couple crazy Jews from Greenwich Village, they never would have approved it. Well, the main uh, block to that was the coverage in the New York Times. And so it turned out to be different with, um, with uh, Nathanson. Nathanson became a non-person the minute he stopped uh, uh, promoting abortion. He just disappeared. He, he gave important testimony. He said this in his, in his book. He basically gave important testimony in Congress. And uh, he, he would be quoted immediately for far less significant things. This time he opens the paper. He's not there because there was no such thing as a Jew who was against abortion. That, that, that didn't exist. That was a category that simply did not exist. And that's part of the reason that he, he was not mentioned anymore. Yeah, so he, he was now, uh, I guess, uh, he, he, he is no longer effect, useful. Right. And in fact, he, was, but, he, would, he would be a threat because he was a, both a convert and also a whistleblower about the abortion. Right, issue. and so therefore you de really don't want to have this guy. Yeah. Don't give this guy the microphone. Just pass it the, along the way. The, the other thing is that uh, is what struck me about this uh, thing that you just read is they use the word outrage. Outrage. Why, why do you – you have outrage privilege. You know, in other words, your outrage trumps everyone else's outrage. You have no right to be outraged by uh, uh, the, uh, uh, the, the, the taking of human life here. 
You have a monopoly on outrage. This is this is over. It's not going to work. And I think that the desperation that these people are showing, this is not going to make uh, this go away. It's only going to discredit this operation further, and it will make it more likely that Christians uh, throughout the country will be uh, willing to oppose this. Willing, uh, when I guess to the state level, when it gets to the, the, uh, the, the, uh, the debate on the state level. Because at the same time, uh, right after Roe versus Wade was handed down, uh, Phyllis Schlafly started to mobilize against the Equal Rights Amendment, and she won. Mm -hmm. She won. She defeated. It was impossible. It seemed like a, a, a completely done deal. How could you object to equal rights for women? How could you do that? That's ridiculous. And she stopped it. Uh, uh, a tribute. If she were around today, uh, she would be working again. Uh, to change the laws at the state level. She was a genius, a master at doing that. Of course, that didn't make any difference anyway. She used to say that if you pass the Equal Rights Amendment, you will have women in combat. <laughs> yes. So well, I would... Yes. yes. One of the arguments I, against Equal Rights Amendment was said was uh, if it passes, uh, all male institutions will be forced to integrate women. And oh, well... <laughs> No, that's yeah, not true. That's not true. They would say back then. Well, yeah. so I'm I'm in Phyllis Schlafly's living room uh, doing an interview, and Ed Ed Martin is there, and he interrupts the interview by uh, on his cell phone. He just got a notice that the government has simply overturned any barriers to women in combat. So there you have it. Uh, she fought them fair and square. She won. Uh, according to their rules, she blocked uh, it according to the Constitution, and that doesn't mean anything anymore. This is exactly what I was trying to tell you at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Your idea of justice, your idea of playing by the rules doesn't mean anything anymore, largely because Roe of Roe versus Wade, which granted privilege to one group and de denied rights to the other group. Well, according, according to Justice Kennedy, I have a right to define the meaning of the universe so i right. do have that power right <laughs> yeah you, you got it go for it go for it but you don't have the right to uh, uh assemble yeah. and say that you, uh, donald you think donald trump won the election you don't have that right mm -hmm. anymore uh that's that that was part this like kennedy's decision was like classic narcissism a classic expression of american narcissism uh, the narcissism that uh, uh what was his name lash I forget his first name, wrote uh, that book, uh, which Jimmy Carter liked in the late 70s. Oh, the, Christopher Lash? Yeah, Christopher Lash, The yeah. Culture of Narcissism, or yeah. something like that. Yeah, that's a classic example of it. So it's like this the superhero uh, movie uh, watched by uh, a couch potato. That, that's kind of the, the, the paradox of narcissism. In other words, you think you have all of this power, and it's really a disguise to uh, keep you from understanding you have no you have no power and you have no rights anymore mm. it's gone it's over the um a while back we had a discussion about the, the pro-life movement and particularly its um efforts at protesting and how uh some people tried to adopt the civil rights model for the pro-life movement how they thought they could be vindicated 
uh, and the media would, would treat them the same way. They can invoke the same idea of civil disobedience and they could, uh, I guess, overwhelm the country with their moral argument. But they found out that not all protests are equal. No. So in 2020, right, in January, you know, how, you know, some protests are violent, but they're mostly peaceful, whereas some protests are mostly peaceful, but they're insurrections, right? Mm -hmm. That's it's all, right. It depends how the media, the narrative That's media right. wants to spin on these things, right? That's right. Truth is the opinion of the powerful. And mm -hmm. one of the biggest disasters for the right to life movement was the idea that somehow they were the, uh, the successor to the civil rights movement. And that somehow every press agent, uh, every press outlet in the world would immediately recognize this thing and they would bring it into abortion. And so what they had was uh, Operation Rescue. Uh, and I, I, you know, I'm not saying I told you so, but I said uh, when it came out, uh, I was invo not involved in the sense that I was, uh, you know, getting arrested, but I was. Uh, covering it from the beginning because people I knew uh, people in Philadelphia invited me to these things and there was some sense that if we had uh, enough people arrested it would clog the judicial system and they, basically it would uh, you know they'd have to uh, decriminalize uh, or have to criminalize abortion again well it didn't work out that way because you had the wrong paradigm they had the wrong paradigm it wasn't the civil rights movement is a category of the mind uh, that you have that gets conferred on you by the rich and the powerful, namely the media. And if they don't like what you're doing, they're not going to call you the, the second civil rights movement. And that's precisely what happened. A lot of people went to jail. A lot of people were hurt uh, because they now had felony records. Uh, uh, people, you know, who wanted to go become lawyers, they could never get uh, uh, past the bar because they had a felony conviction. And that was largely due to uh, uh, Teddy Kennedy, who passed the, the bill that made it a felony to uh, block the entrance to clinics. That, that all happened over that time. So it was tragic, uh, but, you know, they had to learn it the hard way. Well, it was, again, the same like the protesters at Charlottesville learned that they didn't have a right to free speech. No, they didn't. Yeah. No, they should. Because as soon as you identify yourself as white, you lost every single right that you thought you had. And so the battle uh, over like the whole uh, statue battle was basically a battle of uh, imposing categories of the mind on people uh, and engaging in identity theft. Mm -hmm. uh, and so if you could uh, persuade people that the people who are defending the statue of St. Louis were white, well, then not only white, but white supremacists. I mean, you won. That's how you won. And that was Umar Lee's strategy. And suddenly uh, I entered the equation. And I said, well, wait a minute. Why are they praying the rosary? Is that something white supremacists do? Are they wearing Ku Klux Klan uniforms, praying the rosary? Isn't that a little bit of cognitive dissonance here? And because I brought that up, uh, as, uh, I, I, I'm, I, I don't want to take credit. There were obviously people standing there. But the people standing there praying the rosary could not challenge the categories of, of uh, Umar Lee. They couldn't, they didn't do it. I don't know why they didn't do it, but they didn't do it. And I did. And the result was that the statue is still standing. So this is basically what we're seeing right now. This is what the media is. It's just ferocious propaganda imposing categories on you, which means that you're a bad person and you lost the argument before you even open your mouth. That, that's well, what's going on. Yeah, one thing is, you guys, is the civil rights protest movement wasn't really a protest movement because it was had the support of all 
the higher institutions of the country, particularly the Yankees of the North, New York Times, and Yankees, the, huh? Yeah, Yankees, yeah, right, right, Yankee or Judaizers, right? Uh, uh, the regime change. The South saw them as Yankees, right? Um, the intruders, you know. But you know, obviously, from the standpoint of the local governments down there, maybe they, there was a protest movement, but they had support of higher powers, you know. Right, uh, right. Uh, the establishment. It, it the reminds, establishment. Yeah. There's a there's a story about this. Uh, this uh, Orthodox rabbi who gets on the train in Miami and starts, wants to go back to New York and the train breaks down in Georgia. And so he goes out to stretch his legs and it's just a little town. No one has ever seen anyone like this. And so he's crowds following him and everybody's, you know, amazed and dogs are barking. And finally he can't take it anymore. He turns around and he says, what's the matter? Ain't you never seen a Yankee before? <laughs> So the Yankees, <laughs> that was the kind of Yankee that came down on those buses uh, for the Freedom Riders. Yes. It was Jewish lawyers from New York City. And this was the high watermark of the Black Jewish Alliance. Uh, and it collapsed uh, shortly thereafter. But it was certainly a, the, uh, a collaboration between Blacks and Jews. Uh, Jews finally succeeding in getting... Uh, to use blacks as their proxy warriors to overthrow. They, oh, it was a six. It was a revolution in the South. They overthrew the government and put in their own people. Uh, and uh, that's the way it is to this day. Yeah, the re regime champ operation. The um, the same thing with like uh, you're you're wondering why would these people have this grudge against King Louis the Ninth, <laughs> right? It's Louis the Ninth, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. He was a saint, by the, the way. Saint. Uh, what's the grudge? Oh, uh, <laughs> there is a group that has a grudge against Louis the Ninth. What did Louis the Ninth do? <laughs> yeah, well, he he uh, burned the Talmud. <laughs> so I confront uh, Omar Lee. What, what's why are you upset because he burned the Talmud? Well, no one should be able to do that. I said, well, what's what's the Muslim position on blasphemy, Omar? And at that point, there's a little moment of silence. Well, do you accept the Muslim position on blasphemy? Well, no. He backed down at that point. So. It's it's, but I mean, what is what is exactly? Why are you upset? We're back to, we're back to the the initial statement here. Why are these ladies uh, burning the Eucharist? Why are they engaging in acts of blasphemy? Ruth sent them. Ruth sent them. Yeah, and why? <laughs> why does Ruth? Why is Ruth? I'm I'm sure Ruth sent them. I'm I'm absolutely sure of that. Uh, I don't question that at all. But why is Ruth upset? Why is Ruth upset? Because abortion is a Jewish sacrament, and and uh, she knows that. And these people have privilege when they say things like that, and their outrage is meaningful. Your outrage, nobody cares about your outrage, whatever it is, you know. But their outrage, they're allowed to have outrage because they have the privilege that was conferred when Roe versus Wade became the land, a law of the land. Yes, yeah, so you you see that. Uh, I think it was the former spokesperson for for uh, for sanders uh came out and supported i think the statement of ruth sent us and i don't know what would happen if you had a a christian or catholic representative spokesperson come out and support the statement that uh, uh that, you know that you know saying that they were going to go out and defile a, a, a synagogue what would be the reaction yeah or how about if i just say uh abortion is a jewish sacrament uh, what's the outrage going to be for, or, or over that? 
that's an outrageous thing to say when E. Michael Jones says it. It's a proof that he's an anti-Semite. But when he all he's doing is quoting a, a lot of outraged Jewish ladies and a rabbi from St. Louis. What if you say uh, hatred is a Jewish virtue? Yeah, you... that was that was Robbie George's <laughs> rabbi, Robbie George's personal rabbi, yeah. his student, Meyer Solvachik, and that appeared in First Things. So hatred is a Jewish virtue. That's okay to say. If, if there's any uh, organ uh, that is fit for polite company, it is First Things. And here we have a rabbi saying hatred is a Jewish virtue in what if First you, Things. What if you say that gay marriage and pornography were largely legalized, legitimized because of, because of Jews. Is that anti-Semitic? If I say it, it is because I don't have privilege. Uh, if it appears in Tikkun magazine and Amy Dean says it, says it, then it's, it's sure it's, it's praise. Didn't this Joe is, Biden say is, that? Too? Yeah. Joe Biden, Joe Biden <laughs> said it uh, to uh, a Jewish group and thanked uh, Will and Grace Hollywood. Oh, so how, how I get it. I get it. Hollywood's promoting homosexuality, but that's a good thing. So in more, yeah, more lucid times, Joe Biden identifies the, the culprit. <laughs> yeah. 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 But it's okay when he says it. So it's basically, if you say anything praising Jews, the word Jew is a category of reality. If you say anything criticizing Jews, uh, the word Jew is a category of your mind and proof that you're an anti-Semite. It's well, it that simple. It was Henry Ford that said that, of course, a, a notorious anti-Semite, Henry Ford, who said that... Uh, you know, the motion picture industry movies, it was a, it was a rehearsal for revolution. And he's essentially correct. He was essentially yeah. correct. Um, so, it's interesting. You have these protesters show up, uh, I guess, protesting this leaked draft of a decision and they, they show up dressed like characters out of the handmaid's tale. So their perception of reality is the hyper reality created by Hollywood who is controlled right. by whom. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. What, uh, what what are you supposed to say here? What are you supposed to say? I know you're outraged, but your 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 the the statute of limitations, your shelf life, your outrage shelf life has expired, and and we just don't, we don't accept it anymore. Well, I don't know. I mean, they they got at, upset over the Talmud being burned in the 13th century, so it has a long shelf life. <laughs> They're still holding on to that, aren't they? Yes, they don't forget. <laughs> You know, no, again, I, I, it, you I know, think you, you yeah, look, you, you demystify the thing if you identify who is doing it. And that has been the, precisely the problem at first things. You remember secularizing activists, mm -hmm. you know, yes. uh, gave us uh, removed school prayer from that only adds to their power because it gives them an aura of mystification. I mean, Leo Pfeffer was a secularizing activist, right? Yeah, I mean, wait a minute. No, he was working for the American Jewish Committee. And suddenly when you say that, he's like a, a human being like everyone else. And why can't I say that Leo Pfeffer was a lawyer for the American Jewish Committee in the Supreme Court case, uh, Shemp versus School Board of Avenue? Why can't I say that? Well, better, better still, why couldn't Archbishop Chapu say that? In first things, what's the problem here? Yeah, well, it was in his memoirs. I think Leo Pfeffer. I read about this in your book because he features greatly in your biography, John Cardinal Kroll, if I recall. Yeah, uh, he would. It was New York where he would drive around, or at least he'd walk as a child, and see these long lines of, of girls in dresses, plaid dresses, and boys in ties and white shirts lining up to go to go to school. Catholics. These were Catholics, 
uh, in the ethnic neighborhoods, and he he felt contempt or I guess fear or hatred. No outrage. He was outraged. More outrage. Okay, more outrage. Wait, wait, more outrage. (laughs) Well, well, tell us about it, Leo. I mean, lie down on the couch and tell us about it. You know, why do you feel uh, outrage? What is it? It's the it's your residual ancestral Jewish hatred of Logos. It's that simple as manifested by the Catholic Church or these children going to school wearing school uniforms. Why Why should we valorize or validate your outrage? Well, those kids are going to grow up to become Cossacks. <laughs> yeah. That's how they view it, though. I mean, that's kind of... Um, yeah, nip, yeah, nip it in the bud. I guess that what that's what abortion did, nipped it in the bud. Yeah, yeah. But it's interesting because you talk, you know, a character like Leo mm-hmm. Pfeffer, and of course, he's a psychologizing activist, but Moulton Mullen is an anti-abortion Catholic activist. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Again, the double standard. Yeah. And know? Martin Mullen was a state senator, uh, represented most blessed of Sacrament Parish in Philadelphia, which was the source of the most, uh, um, uh, uh, you know, priests and uh, holy orders in the 1960s. It, it, it had a profound effect on politics, which is why they had to bust up the neighborhoods and, and ship them, you know, fa- uh, with white flight, chase them all into suburbia. They become uh, white con- consumer Americans and, all, and lost their right. Yeah. yeah, it's not white flight; it's ethnic cleansing. Mm-hmm. Let's let's get our categories straight here. Uh, I, I'm the first guy who said or applied the term ethnic cleansing to what happened to ethnic neighborhoods in in the United States of America, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, it, it, it is catching on certainly among the people who live through it. So why can't we talk about this then? Why can't we just talk about the triple melting pot, Protestant, Catholic, Jew, three different groups uh, at war with each other? Uh, let's just be honest about what's going on, you know, but but no, that never works that way. There are privileged groups and there are groups that have no rights, you know, and that's the difference. And that's what they're trying to preserve here. That, that, that's the essence, uh, because you've got a lot of people, as I said at the beginning, women who feel guilty because they did they ha- had an abortion. And the Democratic Party is based on the mobilization of that guilt. Uh, uh, and it looks as if it's, it's not going to fly anymore. No, and uh, I mean, to the extent that, this, that, the, that the, uh, the jurisdiction of this matter goes to the states and the states... Various states, maybe many, many as twenty or twenty-two, may ban or restrict it. Uh, maybe some of these rights will be of the unborn will now be observed and uh, you know save some lives. Is what it's all about. Well, I hope. So. It, I hope it's a, I'm hoping for a happy ending here. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm hoping that we don't just rush headlong into catastrophe, which is the way I feel about the Ukraine right now yes. and the United States participation there. You got a group of people. Oh, wait a minute. It's the same group of people. Okay. <laughs> yes. I, I, they keep popping up all over the place. You got uh, uh, Zelensky, the Jewish puppet, who is now willing to uh, shed the last drop of Ukrainian blood mm-hmm. uh, so that he can be a puppet for NATO and attack Russia. Okay. You've got uh, Anthony Blinken, who is a Secretary of State, uh, who basically brought off one of the greatest diplomatic failures of the history of the United States of America because he refused to talk to the Russians. And he refused to talk to them because uh, he has Jewish privilege. And when you have Jewish privilege, you dictate the terms. You don't, you don't say, okay, well, let's be reasonable. No. If you, if you start the conversation with, uh, I had relatives who died in the Holocaust, you can't talk to these people. 
And this is the tragedy of American foreign policy. It's been the hands of this Jewish revolutionary spirit for decades now. And it's getting worse. And now you got a group of people who have their hands on the steering wheel and the car is heading toward the cliff. And the question is, can anyone pry these people's hands off the steering wheel before they plunge us into nuclear war? That's the question. This is serious. Mm -hmm. And Roe versus Wade contributed to this craziness. And the question is, are we going to, is this American system going to be able to right itself after the storm? Or is it going to, are we all going to go down with all, ha all hands on this ship? Uh, there's a, that's a, a question that uh, we're faced with right now, because this thing in the Ukraine could very easily turn into nuclear war, especially if the people uh, on one side, and I'm talking about NATO, refuse to negotiate. Well, they're outraged. They have their their outrage is privilege, privileged outrage. Well, apparently the Pope came out and said that NATO poked the bear. Yeah, I, I oh, God bless him. So this is, this is after he was uh, uh, defending the Ukraine. Look, I'm glad he said it. Glad yes. he said it. So that's people need to realize that the yeah, the, the bear, you know, if you're, you're getting mauled by the bear, well, <laughs> you're the one that poked it. So <laughs> this is uh, NATO is the aggressor in this war. It's that simple, and NATO could stop it tomorrow. It's been the aggressor since 1993. Right. Ever since the fall of the, yes. of the Soviet Union, where you had goodwill on the part of the, uh, the, the Russians, which was simply treated with contempt mm -hmm. by the Americans who exploited them, sent Jeffrey Sachs over to loot the country. Uh, and it's been one, worth, one step farther away from peace after another to this point where the war finally broke out. Yep, finally did it. They got their war. So, yep. So, well, Dr. Jones, I said to have you for about an hour. I think we're up near that. I think uh, I want to thank you for being uh, patient with my technical problems here. And uh, so um, I'll let you go for the evening. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure to talk to you, Tim. Uh, and you can uh, access any of the books that I've mentioned if you go to fidelitypress.org or culturewars.com. Culturewars.com, get a subscription to the magazine, get a, uh, a real, you know, dead tree uh, version or a PDF That's version. That's right. Either and, one. And the books, of course. Uh, Logos Rising. And, of course, this, uh, uh, you got a book coming out in, uh, I guess, a couple of weeks. So look forward to that. So yes. well, thank you. I'll let you go. And uh, good night. Good night. Bye-bye.